Good evening. It is good to be together to worship God. If you're a guest, uh, again, we welcome you. Thank you for being with us. We won't have slides tonight. I hope everybody will take their Bibles. We'll be studying together out of 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. The Bible that are in your pew, that'll be about page 1051. It may be a page or two in, in another direction, maybe 1052. Uh, but uh, open up and, and we'll study uh, God's word together as we continue studying through the epistles this year. And we want to again encourage you, let's all read together. Uh, the, the assignment this week is 2 Thessalonians. It's just three chapters. Read it several times. We'll enjoy studying just a few verses tonight. You can come back in this very same room on Wednesday night and have an in-depth study on uh, various parts of that entire book. And uh, we want to encourage you to be involved in Bible classes and just every opportunity that we have uh, to encourage each other, to study God's word together, and to truly grow in our spiritual life. Uh, from what we thought about this morning, you're responsible for you. Nobody can make you grow. It's up to you. And we want to encourage each other and we want to help each other. But let's, let's all be responsible and, and let's help ourselves and put ourselves in a position where God can help us. We have just come from a elders and deacons and ministers meeting. And you know, through the years, we've had a lot of good meetings. I can't think of one any better than the one that we've just had. It's just so wonderful to hear about the various works that are taking place and the works that are being planned. And it's good to be able to pray for individuals and for various works. And it's just a rich blessing to be a part of that. I wanna remind you of a few things. Keep in mind that Scholarship Sunday, our young men that are Bible majors, uh, they'll be preaching this coming Sunday. And so that would be Chet Duke, Chris Malone, and Jamie Williams. And we hate that Alan Cantrell is going to be studying abroad. Well, we don't hate that he's going to study abroad, but we just hate he's leaving this week. Uh, if, we, if we could redo our calendar, there's a few things about Scholarship Sunday we'd redo for reasons like that. Uh, but uh, we look forward to the day, and we are so thankful for those four young men and their commitment that they have made to studying God's word in depth and committing their life uh, to be of greater service through that Bible knowledge. And we want to encourage them Sunday. Uh, I, I know that I don't have to tell you that, but be aware of that. Be praying for them. And Sunday, let's do everything that we can do to encourage them and to commend them for the decision that they're making. And we're thankful that they made that decision and we're thankful uh, that we can be a small part of supporting them and encouraging them. Also keep in mind that March the 3rd is Mission Emphasis Day. That's always an important day, but this year we're going to have the opportunity to really make a long-term difference in the work in Ukraine. And so I want to encourage you to be thinking and praying and budgeting what you could do to give generously as we could make a major investment in Ukraine. There'll be a lot said about that over the next few weeks and especially on Missions Emphasis Day itself. But be thinking about that. Be prayerful of that. Figure out what you need to adjust some spending, to adjust some savings accounts, or sell some stock, or sell that boat that you don't need. But do whatever you need to do to free up a generous gift to make a major investment uh, in the Christians' lives in Ukraine there. We've had a long, long relationship with these people. Uh, it's great to be a part of new mission works. Don't get me wrong. But we've been a part of this mission work for decades. And we, we really, uh, we, we need to help them. And I look forward to you hearing all about uh, the ways that we plan on being involved even more so over this next year. 
Also keep in mind the let's start talking. There is a great need for those that could free up a month to two months in June and July and be a part of helping individuals read through Luke, learning to speak English, but in that they're also going to learn, of course, about Jesus Christ. If you could give several weeks, up to two weeks in June and July, please see Doug Perry. If you don't know Doug, just see any of us and we can help point you to Doug, but you are needed. Uh, we really need to identify these people within the next month. And so if you can help pass the word, if you can help us allow this to be a possibility, it could be a rich, rich blessing to Nick and Amy and the work that they are doing there. Probably goes without saying, but let me state the obvious. If you know some college students, they would be prime candidates. You know school teachers that have the summer off are retirees. Now there can be others also that are prime candidates, but, but those three groups are, are really prime candidates. So, so if you can help us think about who can we get this message to, who can we involve in this wonderful work, it truly would be a blessing to the work there. And so be prayerful about that and help us get the word out about that because really when you start putting a team together a month really isn't that long to start looking for people that, that can say, okay, I'm, I'm really interested in this. I, I believe I can commit to this. And so help us do that. Melissa Miller was stopped in Florida by a police officer in a 30 mile per hour speed zone and she was doing 100 miles an hour. She also was continually slamming on the horn. When asked why she was doing 100 miles an hour, her answer was, God told me to do this. And then when she was asked why she was slamming on her horn over and over, just banging it and banging it, you guessed it, the same answer was given. God told me to do this. Now, the, God didn't have to tell the officer what to do from that point forward, but after she was thrown into jail, she maybe had time to try to figure out, really, is this what God wanted me to do? Tonight, do you realize how valuable the truth is? Maybe that's too elementary of a question to ask Christians, but yet sometime we need to go back to the basics. Do you realize how important the truth is? Do you promise to tell the truth and nothing but the truth? So help me God. How many times have we seen that very statement made and then someone go to the stand, whether it's the President of the United States or some drug dealer, and then proceed to tell a lie? Listen, we have a problem in America with there not being an appreciation for truth. Tonight, I ask you, to what degree do you appreciate truth? Would you give up your life before you would give up the truth? How valuable is truth to you? In 2 Thessalonians, it was written only a few months after 1 Thessalonians, and you'll remember that Paul went into that town of Thessalonica and was only able to stay there a few weeks before he was persecuted and run out of town at a nighttime escape. But he desperately wanted to go back to them, but he wasn't able to go back to them, so he wrote them one letter. And then he hears perhaps some more concerns. And so while he's still in Corinth on that 18-month stay, he writes a second letter to them. And I'd like for you to notice his plea for them to really grasp the importance of truth. Although 
they had already exemplified themselves as a people that loved God and loved the truth. I'd like for us to just dive right into 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter, and look in verse 9. The coming of the lawless one, and, and that is kind of a slippery topic. Exactly who is the lawless one, and that's slippery enough. I'm going to leave that for Tim, and he'll answer all your questions Wednesday night about who the lawless one is. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. Do you notice that? Why did they perish? They did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. The love of the truth saves. How valuable is truth? How valuable is it to be saved? The love of the truth saves. I'd like for you to just think about the three key words right there of love, truth, saves. When we talk about a true and a genuine love, we think about all out commitment. We think about putting one before others. Can you say that you are completely in love with the truth? Can you say you're fully committed to the truth? Can you say that there would never be a separation of me and truth? Love. Love what? Truth. What is truth? Well, we know that ultimately it is the truth that saves. I'd like for us to just go, and, and by the way, have you ever thought how many times the Bible speaks about truth? And so you talk about an exhaustive list, we'd be here all night long. Let's just go to the book of John and, and we'll look through a few passages there and then we'll look just to a couple more passages and all we're gonna try to do here is string together some thoughts that God would give us about what is truth how important is it? How important is it for Christians to find truth into their heart? Let's just see where we begin if we go back to John the first chapter. Turn to John the first chapter. Remember John 1 and 1 is where Jesus is called what? The Word. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus Christ was the truth incarnated. The truth exists but what does the truth look like in every situation? Jesus Christ lived out the truth in every situation. What should a relationship be with God? Look at Jesus. He was truth in what a relationship should be with the Father. What, what should our relationship be with an enemy? He was the truth about what the relationship should be. Listen, we could just go on and on. Jesus was truth in the embodiment of truth. And so when we read verse 14, listen to how eloquently John says it here. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And notice how John says, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. Listen, Jesus was truth running over. His life was so much truth that it caused people to pause. It caused people to take notice. Look, there goes Jesus Christ. Nobody has ever been full of truth like him. What can this truth do? Let's pass through just a few chapters to John the eighth chapter. You're probably very familiar with 32 that talks about the truth will make you free. But do you remember what 31 is that leads up to that powerful statement that the truth will make you free? Look at John 8 and 31. 
Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's a beautiful thought to be free from sin. It's a beautiful thought to be free from fear. Listen, if you really are committed to the truth, there's no reason to fear dying. No reason at all. But if you aren't committed to the truth, you ought to be scared to death. We can be set free, free from sin, free from fear, free from the pain of eternal death. There is so much that we can be set free of, but again, where does he say it is? Jesus says, you must abide, that's live, dwell within, you must abide in my word. It's not somewhere we visit. It's somewhere we live. Where is your Bible? The back seat of your car? A coffee table collecting dust? Or can you truthfully say, my Bible is where I live? I live within those words. I treat my boss differently because of the living word of God. I speak to my neighbor that gets on my last nerve in a different way than what I would otherwise because I live in the word of God. I'm a part of the Lord's church because I live in the word of God. Can you say that everything about your life from your entertainment to your devotion to your place in your physical family your spiritual family, does it begin and end and run all the way through you dwelling in the word of God? John 14 and 6 tells us why the truth is so important. Where are you going to spend an eternity? You remember what Jesus said about himself in John 14 and 6? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We must reach the truth. Jesus Christ, where do we find Jesus? We learn of Jesus in the written word. We must find Jesus in the truth or we cannot reach the Father. If you would, back up with me to Luke the eighth chapter. In Luke the eighth chapter, before we go back to our text in 2 Thessalonians tonight, I want to remind you of a parable that, of course, it's a well-known parable, the parable of the sower. He gives the parable earlier in Luke, the eighth chapter, and I'd like for us to pick up in the 11th verse where he gives the explanation. And I'd like for you to just think, what is your involvement with truth? You see, what he does here, you see there in verse 11, now this parable, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. And he talks about different hearts. Like, and I'm not trying to judge anybody in particular here tonight, but I'm just saying a crowd this size, there's probably all four hearts here tonight. In other words, there will be someone that their heart is probably more like verse 12. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. And when the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. See, what were they hearing? They were hearing the word. The word is what? The truth. If they would have believed it, what could have happened? They could have been saved. But they heard the message and they didn't let it go inside. 
It stayed on the outside. And if you've ever grown a garden, you know what happens to any seeds that you leave on top of the ground. Just as soon as you walk away from the garden, birds fly over and they pluck it up. And so that's the picture here. There's this wayside, there's this pathway over here and you throw seeds, but the seeds that don't go on the ground, they lay on top of the wayside, the birds pluck it up. What are you gonna do with the truth? Well, this message tonight, just lay on the top of your life so that by the time this evening completely falls or by the time the morning comes, Satan will have already gathered up because keep in mind, he has to gather it up because truth is powerful. If he were to leave the truth in your life, it would start changing you. And so Satan has to go and gather it up and say, I can't leave the truth with them. Would there be someone else here tonight that would say, really 13 describes me, but the ones on the rock, this is seeds of truth that fell on the rock, are those who when they hear, receive the word with joy. They're happy that they've been taught it. And these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. They receive it. It starts growing a little bit. But then when the temptation comes, there's just not root to support, to overcome the temptation. You remember how Jesus overcame temptation? Remember Matthew, the fourth chapter? Each time he began by saying what? It is written. He had a root system where he was available to approach temptation and overcome it because Jesus Christ himself relied upon the truth. Listen, if I'm not living in the truth and the truth is not living in me, I'm just the next big temptation away from falling away. I must love and be devoted to learning and living the truth of God's word. Or what about maybe somebody that would say, well, 14 describes me more. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who when they have heard go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. All of us have seen a plant that maybe some kind of vegetable that we're trying to grow and then the weeds come and, and anytime the weeds grow taller, they trap the sun away from the plant and their root system robs the moisture that could have been for that smaller plant. And so what happens obviously is it's a choking out. It's a taking away of life. Notice what it was again. Do you see those three things that he mentions? It could be probably more than this, but he says cares, riches, and pleasures. Is it one of those three things that you struggle with to have the truth within you? Because every time you think about sitting down and really studying and meditating on the word of God, there's some kind of care that's running through your life. And you think, I just don't have time right now. I have to take care of that. Or what about the pleasures? What about the pleasures where you just don't have time to study the word of God, but you can listen to music for hours in a week. Or you can watch TV or a movie for hours. Or you can surf or Facebook or some other kind of social media for hours. Listen, I'm not up here 
trying to put false guilt on anyone. I'm just up here trying to preach the word of God. And the word of God says pleasure is what causes this group of people to not have the truth in them. What do you delight in? What if our pleasure was in learning the word of God? What if our pleasure was in, in, in devoting our life to better knowing the truth? So that that literally took a priority over the other things. But then notice the third thing that he says there is actually the second one that he mentions is riches. How oftentimes do we allow material things to get in the way of spiritual things? Have you ever noticed qualifications of, of elders and deacons? A man cannot be qualified that is greedy for money. Why? Because any time physical and, and, and material things become of the highest importance in a man's life, he can be no blessing to the kingdom of heaven. And that's not just true for a man. It's true for women and it's true for teenagers. It's true for all of us. What is of the most importance? Truth cannot dwell in the same heart of someone who is materialistic. And their greatest devotion is to riches. And so that heart is going to find at times seeds starting to grow a little bit. But when progress is being made, instead of coming to fruition and there being a maturing fruit, there is continually a choking out. This evening, if your spiritual life could truly be charted, what would it look like? Would it look like some peaks and then a lot of, of just plateaus or even declines? Or would your spiritual life, even though we all perhaps surely would have ups and downs, but it was a continual over the long term, your spiritual life was a continual upward movement. Listen, if we cannot figure out what to do with the truth, we will not figure out how to have a life that is continually growing stronger and closer to God. The wayside, the no roots, the choking out, all of these things ultimately boil down to what are we going to do with the word of God? Are we going to get the word of God into, and it's going to be the heart. Let's look at the, in verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble, some translations would say an honest and good heart. What do they do? They keep it and bear fruit with patience. It has to make it into a heart that's honest, that wants to deal openly and honest with the word of God. When the word of God convicts you, do you try to change the word or do you change your life? Listen, it's not an honest heart whenever the word convicts us and we try to change the word. Are we reading it with a good heart that we want goodness to come out of our life and that we want goodness to come out of the cause of Christ and his kingdom? Those are the characteristics and the qualities that God says we must have in our heart if we're going to be able to take the word in and allow the word to do what the word was intended to do. 
Let's go back, if you will, to 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians, look with me, if you will, at verse 11 and 12. And I want to remind you that in 9 and 10, what we read was the fact that if we have a love for the truth, that we can be saved. But I'd like for you to notice what he says about deceptions and delusions here. In other words, what we're about to read, that if we believe a lie, we will be condemned. We can love the truth and be saved or we can believe a lie and be condemned. Look for that in 11 and 12. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusions that they should believe the lie and that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Why would God send strong delusions? God has sent a strong message of truth. And if you and I choose to turn away from the truth, there is nothing else to believe except a lie. God will not coerce you. God will not manipulate you. God will not say, okay, well, if you're going to leave the truth, let me try to figure out at least this secondary truth that I can turn you to. Listen, there is only one truth. We leave the truth. There is nothing else to believe but lies and delusions. And in that, of course, we find condemnation because our Savior, Jesus Christ, you remember what we read in John? He is the truth. We leave Christ. We leave his word. We have left the saving gospel. Not believing the truth leads to condemnation. Look in Romans, the first chapter. Sometimes the idea of God sending strong delusions is discouraging to some people. Maybe this passage would help bring a little bit of clarity to it. Look in Romans, the first chapter, in verse 21 and 22, we see, a, we see a moving away from God. Verse 21, because although they knew God, this is where they started, they knew him, but then they started taking stair steps away. They did not glorify him as God. And now another step, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and what's happened by now? Their foolish hearts were darkened. Now what's going to happen anytime we move away from God to that extent, to the point that God would say, now your heart is foolish. And keep in mind, what did we just read about in the parable in Luke the 8th chapter? The truth has to be in the heart, a good and an honest heart for there to be spiritual life and growth. What's happened in this heart? The light has gone out. It's darkness. There is no enlightenment from God. There is no wisdom. There is no truth. Now he says it's a foolish heart that is darkened. And what will we say in the times of this foolishness? And, and I want to encourage everybody to listen to this. I want to encourage the young people to listen to this. God does not lie to us. What will a foolish heart say to themselves? And I want you to see what they're going to say in 22. Professing themselves to be wise... They become fools. The further we get away from God, the smarter we think we are. In darkness, you can believe anything. In darkness, the strong delusions look real. You can be your own God. 
human philosophy looks great. Tell them what they want to hear. And all of this is a movement away from truth. And so what happens? By this point in 23, they change God and change the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And now we're not going to develop all of this next paragraph, but I want you to see three ways that God says, okay, you knew me and you wanted to walk away from me. You, you got your foolish heart darkened and now you think you're so wise, so wise that you're going to create your own God. Look, I'm going to carve this one out and it's going to be like a four-footed beast. Look, I'm going to carve this one out and it's going to be like another man. He says, okay, you want to create your own God? I'm not going to force you to stay with me. As a matter of fact, if you want to misuse your bodies, look what he says he'll do in 24. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness. God says, I'm not going to force you to stay with me. I will allow you to leave me. Look at verse 26. And by the way, 25 that we're skipping over, the problem is they exchanged what? The truth of God for a lie. But that's always what happens. Anytime we leave the truth, we're exchanging the truth for a lie. And so again in 26, three times he's going to say that God let them go. He, he, he gave them up. 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions or, or shameful passions. And then we, we skip down to 28. Notice how he says it again. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. See, the first thing they did was they decided to leave God. And the response that God gave was, if that's what you want, that's what you can have. You know, we throw it around so often, it may not have a lot of meaning, but you know that expression, you better be careful what you ask for. Listen, you want a debased mind? You want a life without truth? You want to live a lie as if it's rewarding? God will let you have it. There's not anybody here that God has ever forced you to do anything. And that won't change. Back to this morning's lesson. You are responsible for you. If you want to follow the truth, you can follow the truth. If you want to turn away from the truth, you can turn away from the truth. As we extend the invitation, I'd like for you to look back at 2 Thessalonians 2. And I'd like for you to look at the end of verse 13. At the end of 13, he talks about that God chose you for salvation. That's the predestination where God lays out his plan. God the Father lays out his plan for us to be saved. Through sanctification by the Spirit. And of course, that's the Holy Spirit. And a belief in the truth. That's the Son of God, the truth. Do we have a belief in Him and His Word? And as we extend this invitation, that's what we want to know. God has chosen a way for us to be saved. God has chosen a way for the Spirit to sanctify us. God has given us His Son, the truth, to save us. And the question is, do you believe in the truth? Not just an intellectual belief. Do you have a belief that says, it is changing my life. I'm wholly committed to it. But then notice along with that belief in verse 15 also comes this. Therefore, brethren, 
stand fast and hold the traditions. And the way the word tradition is used here is talking about the traditions of God, which is truth. He's not talking about here traditions of men. And so he says, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by epistle. You see, he's saying, when I first met you, I spoke to you by word, but it was the holy word of God. And he says, now I'm writing to you by epistle. And he's saying, what I want you to do is I want you to believe the truth. And once you say, I believe it, now I want you to stand fast. That's the idea of stationary. This podium, podium can be moved off and off and on this stage. It's not stationary. When we look at a building, we say, now that's something stationary. What's the truth in your life? Is this something that's real comfortable to just move out of your life on Friday night and then you try to slip it back into your life on Sunday? Listen, that's not a love for the truth. That's not a truth that saves. That's not believing in a truth that that belief will save us. And so he says, I want you to believe, but then he says, I want you to stand fast and I want you to hold. And it's the idea to see something, to take hold of it and say, I'm not turning it loose. Jesus Christ is truth. He wants us to stand with him. He wants us to hold him. He wants us to take the word that he has given us and cling to it. It is love for the truth that saves. And it is a belief and lies that condemns. What does this mean to you? How valuable is this to you? You know, sometime in the heat of a moment, we say some things that later on we say, wow, did I say that? And then did I really mean that? I remember studying with one of the high ups in the Seventh Adventist faith on a late night several years ago. And we looked through several passages that by the time we got to Romans 7, he was getting very tense because he was running out of things to say in his faith. And he'd been real cool and real intellectual up to that point. And at that point, it's like something snapped when he couldn't explain Romans 7. And he just blurted out and he raised his voice loud and he said, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. If it said it in black and white, you'd never believe it. I closed my Bible. I laid it on the desk and I said, we can finish the study now. I said, you've just accused me of not believing a word of God that I would tell you I would die for his word right now. He apologized. He asked for forgiveness. And he asked if I would say a prayer on his behalf. And we continued the study. But I have to be honest with you. I had to go home that night and think, where did those words come from? Do I really believe that? Would I die before I would change the word of God and my commitment to it? And I hope the answer is yes. And I hope for every one of us here tonight that that's our commitment to truth. 
the truth will set us free. And there's a day coming and that's all that matters. Tonight, if we can help you in the pursuit of truth, if you're ready to become a Christian or to be